Heavenly Father, we praise You, we thank You, we worship and honor Your name. We're so blessed to know You in an intimate and a personal way. We thank You that You're not a faraway God, that we have to strive to, to somehow get a chance to even get a glimpse of You. But Father, You desire to have a personal, intimate relationship with every single person in, the, in this room this morning. I pray for those who know You who are here today, Father God, they would be encouraged, they would be equipped to be the men and women of God You've called them to be. And if there's anybody here that doesn't know You, Father, I pray that Your Holy Spirit would just bring conviction and open their eyes to see their desperate need for You as Lord and Savior. So Lord, we love You, we praise You, Father God. To You alone be all the glory, all the honor, all the praise. May You be our teacher this morning. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Title of the message today, and I don't typically give titles to messages, but I did this morning. And as we're going to go through the first, Lord willing, the first 26 verses of Luke chapter 5, the title of the message is Life-Changing Faith. You know what? Faith should change our lives. Amen? And we're going to see three examples of the faith of different people in this text and their lives being changed by Almighty God. You know, when it come right, comes right down to it, there's only one thing that can open the eyes, our eyes, to see what life is really all about. And it can only come by each of us having a head-on collision with Jesus Christ. Amen? Christianity isn't a thing that you do on Sunday morning and Wednesday night. It's not two hours a week. It's not knowing a little bit about God, but it's having a personal, intimate relationship with the Creator of the universe. And that happens as we spend intimate time with Him, as we come to know Him. You know what? He's the, he's the Alpha, the Omega, the Great I Am, the Creator of the universe. He's our Lord. He's our Savior. Amen? And that can be your best friend. And if you're here this morning and you know about God, I hope you leave this place knowing God. Amen? Don't just know about Him, know Him. And if you do know Him, we need to know Him in a more intimate and a personal way. We're going to see this morning three examples of four ordained divine appointments, or like I call them, head-on collisions with Jesus, and the faithful responses of men that would supernaturally transform both their lives here on earth and the eternity to come. In response to these divine appointments with Jesus Christ, we will witness life-changing faith. First of all, we're going to look at the calling of four fishermen into ministry. And what's awesome about it is it's going to be faithful obedience even when they don't understand. You know, there's times in every one of our lives in this room when we don't fully understand, but God wants us to obey anyway. The Bible talks about having the peace that surpasses all understanding, not the peace that comes from understanding. Amen? You know what? I don't know what the future holds, but I know who holds the future. And you know what? Since I know that, I can trust in Him. I can have faith in Him. I don't have to worry about tomorrow because it's all in God's hands. And so we're going to see that this morning, that they're faithfully obedient even when they don't understand. Then we're going to see the cleansing of a leper. This is faith in the midst of extreme trials, and also it's going to be a picture of saving faith. And then lastly, we're going to see the healing of a paralytic man, and we're going to see interceding faith on behalf of a friend, as we're going to see these young men who bring their paralyzed friend to Jesus. And that's what every one of us is called to do as believers in Jesus Christ. We ought to be bringing others to Jesus. Amen? We need to be like Andrew. Come and see. Come and see. We need to have that heart and that attitude. So let's begin by looking at the calling of four fishermen. Faithful obedience, even when they didn't understand. Let's begin in verse 1 of chapter 5. So it was, as a multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret. Now that can also be the Sea of Galilee. It's the same thing. They're synonymous. And it says here that we see that 
Jesus continues His Galilean ministry. He began, we saw in the last couple chapters, He had taught in the synagogues, being glorified by all. He had cast out demons. You remember that He went into the synagogue and there was a demon-possessed man there? We saw it last week. It's interesting to me that that demon-possessed man may have been there for a long time and there was never a problem with Him being in the synagogue until Jesus showed up. And there's a lot of people going to churches today where Jesus Christ is not there. And you know what? They can be totally comfortable in their sin. They can be totally comfortable living a life apart from God because there's no truth. And without, without conviction, there can be no conversion. Without the Word of God, there can be no conviction. Amen? And so when Jesus showed up, a halogen light was shined on this demonic man and He cried out and said, Leave me alone, Son of God. And you know what? When people come to church, they need to be encouraged and equipped, but they also should be convicted. You know what? You should never feel comfortable at church if you're living a sinful life. Amen? If you're living a life where you're outside of God's will, then there should be conviction. That conviction that draws you back into a place of obedience and closeness with God. We also saw Him heal the sick and His ultimate purpose, preaching the kingdom of God. In Luke 4.43, He said, I must teach the kingdom of God to other cities also, because for this purpose I was sent. It says here in this verse, the multitude pressed about Him to hear the Word of God. The greatest need in mankind 2,000 years ago is the greatest need in the world today, and that's to hear the Word of God. Amen? It says they pressed in on Him. Why? Because they wanted to see the flying Walendas. Right? They wanted the PowerPoint presentation. They were looking for, you know, really awesome work. They wanted to hear the Word of God. Amen? And you know what? As a, that's what we need to do, is we need to be sharing with people the truth of God's Word. It says in 2 Timothy, I want to read this to you. This is a message to a pastor from Paul. He says, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at His appearing and His kingdom. Preach the Word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will endure, not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. We're living in that generation. People are heaping up for themselves teachers that tell them what they want to hear. You know what? I'm going to be honest with you guys. You're all a bunch of stinking sinners in need of a Savior. Amen? Do you know that? Amen? Me too. I need Jesus. And you know what? I'm not gonna, you're not going to come here every week and have me tell you how wonderful and perfect and great you guys are. Because you know what? That's not reality. The reality is that we're sinners saved by grace. We're desperate for God. Without Him we can do nothing. We need Jesus. Amen? And you know what? Praise the Lord for the Gospel because that's the message Jesus taught. He said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And the people were pressing in on Jesus because they wanted to hear the Word of God. The need was, that was there 2,000 years ago is the need that is the same today. May we preach the Word and not tickle people's ears by telling them what they want to hear. You know what? People are so desperate for that truth. The number one thing I hear, and you know, as you guys know, this church is fairly new, the number one thing I hear from people that visit this church is, wow, I did not know that people could just teach me the Bible. They're blown away. Wait, wait a minute. Where, where, where has this been all my life? What, where is this coming from? You mean people just teach? Yeah, people can teach the Bible. And you know what? The day that I stop teaching the Bible, you guys drag me out and throw me out in the street because that's what I'm here for. Preach the Word, love the people. Amen? You should feel loved and encouraged, but the Word of God is what changes people's lives. And they pressed in on Jesus because they wanted to hear the Word. And so many people came that they couldn't even hold Him up in a house or in the synagogue and they pressed on Him all the way out to the seashore. And he's standing by the seashore and he's teaching them the Word of God and they're pressing so heavily upon him, it says there in the text, that he stood by the sea, the lake of Gennesaret or the Sea of Galilee. They were drawn not by the comfort of the facilities, but by the Word of God. 
They didn't come out. They're out by the sea standing outside to hear the Word of God. They didn't go in because it had beautiful chandeliers and perfect carpet on the... You know, we need a better facility. We need this. We need... No, we don't. We need to preach the Word and love the people. Amen? You know what? In the Bible, you see Jesus was teaching out in the wilderness. He taught wherever people were. He brought the Word of God to them. And that's what we need to do at Calvary Chapel Santa Cruz. He stood by the lakes. Again, the crowd was so great that they pressed in on Him. Verse 2. And he saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them, and they were washing their nets. Now these fishermen had fished all night. In the Sea of Galilee, the only time you could catch fish was at night, and the only place you could catch fish was in the shallow water. The fish would gravitate toward the shallow water during the evening, and then when the sun would come out, they would go out to the deep area, and it was next to impossible to catch fish out there. So all the fishing was done at night. And these fishermen had been fishing all night long. We're going to see in a few verses here, they had caught nothing. And now they're washing their nets. And Jesus is standing there. The crowd is pressing in upon Him. And He looks over and He sees these two boats by the shore. Verse 3. Then He got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked Him to put out a little from the land. And He sat down and taught the multitude from the boat. He asked Him to put it out a little ways from the land. He turned to Peter. Peter's washing his nets. He says, Peter, would you come over here? And I want you to push the boat out a little bit from the land. You know, one thing about our God, He will never force anybody into ministry. He will never force you to do anything for the kingdom of God. You notice how He asked Peter, Peter, would you come? Peter, would you come and get in your boat and just take me out a little ways here so I can preach to the people? You know what else is going to happen though? He's going to have a captive audience in Peter. Because as Peter's getting in the boat and rowing it out from the shore, who's sitting right next to Jesus while he's teaching? Peter is. And that was all part of God's perfect plan that Peter was sitting there hearing the Word of God as it was being taught to the people. Our, letter, our Lord, again, will never ever force us to serve Him. But I can tell you what, there's no greater thing in the world than to serve Jesus Christ. Amen? Because that's what's eternal. When this time has come and passed, only what we've done for Christ will last. Amen? It won't matter how much money I've made, you know, how many possessions I've stored up, that's all going to perish. We've yet to see a hearse pull in the U-Haul. It's not going to happen. You don't take anything with you. Amen? And only what we've done for the Lord, and the only thing we're taking to heaven with us, is people. Often the greatest acts of revival in our lives begin with the smallest acts of obedience. Peter heard the Word, the Lord asked him, and he responded in obedience, and he came and he put the, the boat out from the shore. We're going to see that Jesus says there he taught the multitude from the boat. How many of you ever heard of J. Vernon McGee? He's been with the Lord a long time. One of the things he said, though, is every pulpit is a fishing boat, a place to give out the Word of God and to, the, and to attempt to catch fish. Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. We're going to see that later in this text, actually. And that means if we're not fishing, we're not following. If we're not out there sharing our faith with people, if we're not out there sharing the Word of God, if we're not out there being salt and light to a lost and dying world, then we're not truly following Jesus Christ. If the passion of His life is not the passion of our life, we've missed it. The word Christian means a follower of Christ, a person who is Christ-like. And he, he, his heart is broken for the people in Santa Cruz County who don't know God. And so should our heart be broken. Amen? And, that, and we should realize that that's where we're called to be here. Verse 4. When he had stopped speaking, he told Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down your net. Now remember, Peter's a professional fisherman. This is what he does for a living. He knows that the only time you can catch fish is at night and only in the shallow water. And the Lord says to him, he takes command of the boat, and he says, Peter, I want you to go out in the deep end, in the middle of the daylight. And by the way, the crowd is sitting on the seashore, 
and most of them are either fishermen or they know a lot about fishing. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to, to do something totally contrary to what you know to be right in your professional mind. I want you to take us out to the deepest part of the water in the middle of the day and drop your nets overboard. And then get ready for the cat calls from shore when they start calling you an idiot because nobody catches fish in the middle of the day in the deep end. And I love that Peter, the Lord commands him. The Lord takes charge of the ship. And he has a choice to make here. This makes no sense to him. This is not the way we fish. You know, he didn't say to the Lord, well, let me give you a fishing one-on-one lesson. Now, let, me, let me help you out, Lord. Let me, let me tell you how we do things around here. You just don't understand. And sometimes, you know, God is calling us to do things and we don't get it and we don't understand and we don't know why He's calling us to do what He's calling us to do. But you know what? We need to stop using the intelligence of men to try to understand Almighty God. You know, we're finite men. He's infinite God. I think He knows a little better than us. Amen? I remember when I was a little kid, I thought I knew a lot. I thought my parents didn't know very much. And the older I got, the more I realized my parents knew, right? I mean, that's so true because the older you get, oh man, my, my dad, he knew what he was talking about. My mom knew, boy, they know exactly what they're talking about. And you know what? When it comes to God, He's greater than that and we need to learn to trust in Him. So having completed the message, He commanded, he took the command of Peter's ship. He asked Peter to do something that from a physical point of view made absolutely no sense to him. And what Jesus asked, asked, asked him to do was totally contrary. We, didn't, we, we don't do things this way. That's not the way we do things, Lord. You know what? I hear that in churches all the time. You know, I remember when I, I was a youth pastor, most of you know, for almost 15 years, and I would say, you know, here's what we're going to do. Oh, we, we don't do things that way in this church. We've got, we got our rules and our regulations and our ritual. Now, this is how we do stuff. This is the way we do it. And, we, you know, we've, we've taken the Holy Spirit right out of the church, right? And we, we regulate. This is the way we do it. And we're going we're gonna to sing one song from this time, and at, and at 8, 12, and 30 seconds, we're going to have a 30-second prayer. And we just, we just wipe the Holy Spirit right out of the church. We do everything so regimented and ritualistic. We become like the Pharisees. You know what? The Holy Spirit is the one who does ministry. Amen? And He uses us. It blows my mind that He uses us. And He says here, He could have said, you know what? We don't do things that way. We, we have our own way of doing stuff. You just don't get it. Peter, Mr. I know fishing. No, no, you don't. Because I'm the Lord. I'm the creator of the universe. I'm the one that put the fish in the water. You need to learn, listen to me. Amen? And so what I love about Peter's response, though, look what it says here. The keys to Peter's obedience... Watch what he does. He was willing, even though he didn't understand, to listen to the Lord. And here's the keys. He says in verse 5, Master. But, Master. Lord, I don't understand, but Master. We've toiled all night. A willingness to submit to the authority of Jesus Christ, to give Him the throne of His life. You know what? Every one of us needs to get to that point to say, Master. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. I'm not on the throne of my life anymore. Lord, I want you to be there. The Bible says, if any man desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. The cross is a place of death, and we must die that God might be glorified through us. We must die to our will, die to our passions, die to our desires, and let the Holy Spirit live in and through us. And he calls him Master. And look what he says. His faith was in what? He says, nevertheless, at your, what does it say? Your word, I will let down the net. So what gave this life-changing faith to Peter? He gave up the throne of his life and he responded to the word of God. It was the word of God that transformed him. It was the word of God. He said, nevertheless, I don't understand, but at your word I'll do it. Based upon your word, I'll do it. And you know what? As believers in Jesus Christ, we need to know God's word that same way. We need to be able to say, Lord, I don't fully understand, but based upon what your word says, I'm going to do it. You're my master. That's your word. I'm going to trust you. Amen? 
Nevertheless, I don't get it, Lord, but at your word, I'm going to be obedient to you. Verse 6. And when they had done this, they caught a number of fish, and the net was breaking. It's interesting to me that he did exceedingly abundantly above all that Peter could have hoped for. All that Peter did was obey, and God was glorified. When we're obedient, God gets glorified, and we get blessed. Amen? Highest form of worship, Javier said it tonight, or today, is obedience. When we're obedient, God is glorified and we get blessed. And he was obedient and God gave him way more than he could have ever even hoped for. Now, when we're obedient and God is glorified, we get blessed. It's interesting to me, the Bible says that the eyes of the Lord search to and fro among the whole earth, seeking one whose heart, whose heart is loyal to him, who can show himself strong on account of, whose heart is loyal to him. The Lord is looking for a man. He's looking for a woman he can use. He's not looking for a building. He's not looking for a program. He's looking for a man. He's looking for a woman. That's what the Bible says. And you know what? Peter said, I want to be that man. Lord, I'll do it. I'll obey you. It doesn't make sense to me, but you told me, so I'm going to do it. It didn't make sense to me to come to Santa Cruz. I'll be real honest with you. This is the last place I thought I was supposed to be. But God told me we came and God's doing a work. Amen? And that's what happens. We, we obey and God brings the increase. He's the only one that should be glorified. So God wants to work in us and through us. And all He wants us to do is cry out to Him. Now, the way that people respond to success will give us an idea of their character. And look how these guys respond. Verse 7. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats, so they began to sink. You know what? When God does the work, He fills the vessels up completely. These two vessels were filled to overflowing. That's a picture of what God wants to do in our life. He wants to fill us to overflowing with His Holy Spirit. Amen? And they, they, these guys didn't hold on to what they've been given. And as Christians, we're not a reservoir for what God gives us. We're a funnel, right? What God gives us, He wants us to pour out on everybody else. He doesn't want us to put it in a box and hide it in a closet. He wants us to take what He's given us and just spread it out on everybody around us. Amen? And that's exactly what these guys do. God blesses them to overflow and they call their friends, Come help! Come help! Look! And it's just over, it's overwhelming what God does when we walk in obedience. God's blessing was to the point of overflowing. Verse 8. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' feet saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. What brought repentance in the heart of Peter? The overflowing of Almighty God. Being obedient to Him and seeing His holiness and seeing His greatness and being in awe of our, of our God blew him away. You know, one of the biggest problems in the church today is people are making Jesus less than He is. They're saying, well, you need Jesus plus these four other things and then you can be saved. Well, you need Jesus plus you've got to have First Communion and you've got to have these 12 rituals and then you've got to be baptized in our baptism by our pastor and then you've got to, do, you know, you've got to keep the rules and you've got to do these works and if you do all those things, maybe you'll... Hey, it's Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. Amen? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and life and no man comes to the Father but by Me. I don't have to have my baptismal card. I don't have to have my church membership. I don't have to have kept a bunch of rules or rituals. I just need to know Jesus Christ in a personal and an intimate way. Amen? And so here we see Him. He sees the Lord for who He is. He's blown away. He knows that this is a miracle. And what does it do? It drops Him to His knees and He says, Lord, I'm a sinner. You know what? When you see Jesus for who He is, and you see how holy He really is, it reveals to you, it's like a halogen light in a pitch black room when you run into Jesus Christ. Amen? 
It reveals to you how dark you really are apart from Him. And the light shined brightly. And He said, I am a sinful man, O Lord. The light of Christ is a halogen light on the sinfulness of men. And we need to spend time in the presence of God. And if we do, we will not be able to spend time in His presence without being convicted. For He and all who were with Him were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. From now on you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and, fathered, and followed Him. Now it says, you will catch men. This was an object lesson. These guys were fishermen, and this was the greatest catch of fish they'd ever had in their lives. And you know what? They're going to leave it all. They're not even going to take time to sell the fish. This thing that was once important to them meant nothing because they ran into Jesus. The thing that was so important, their career, their job, their passion, fishing, all of a sudden meant nothing. Why? Because they had met the Creator of the universe. Their passions changed. Their hearts changed. Their desires changed. Their will changed. And when we run into Jesus Christ, that's what should happen to us. Amen? It shouldn't be about our career anymore. It shouldn't be about you know, all those other things. You know what? And praise the Lord for the job that you have, but the number one reason you're there is to be salt and light for the kingdom of God. Amen? It's God's provision, but that's why we're there. And when you run into Jesus, everything else fades. Nothing else is important. And this greatest catch of all time, they could have gone to shore and said, nah, you know, you guys are mocking me for fishing in the deep. Look what we got. Didn't do that. Didn't say, look what great fishermen we are. Man, aren't we awesome? Didn't do that. It says here they repented and they forsook all and followed Jesus. They left the boats full of fish, said, you guys can have them. We found something better. You know what? My job's not important anymore. My career's not important anymore. Pursuing after the big house on the hill and driving the fancy car, it doesn't mean anything anymore because I've met Jesus. And that's what life is really all about. And you know what? When you, when you run into Him, you can't help it. Everything else fades. Nothing else is important. So once they came to know Jesus for who He was, their passions, their, their priorities, and everything was radically changed. So we see the calling of the four fishermen. They were faithful when they didn't understand. Let's move on to the next one. The cleansing of a leper. Saving faith. Faith in the midst of extreme trials. Let me talk to you a little bit about leprosy. You know, we don't see leprosy today. You know, if, if, it's a very rare case if it happens. But in those days, leprosy was much more prevalent. And let's talk about it for a second. It was an incredible and hideous disease. It ate away at your flesh. You were covered with sores and boils. Eventually, parts of your body would start falling off. Hideous disease. Not only did it bring a loss of physical appearance, it was also extremely contagious. So not only did, you, did your appearance fade away, not only did you begin to look, so, to look vile in the eyes of other men, but because it was contagious, it basically isolated you. It banished people from society. They had to be stuck in leper colonies. And they could not enter the temple. They couldn't visit their family anymore. They couldn't continue to work anymore. They would never be touched again. They would never be hugged again. They would never be kissed again. I mean, their lives were waiting to die. They were decaying before the eyes of men, just waiting to die. When somebody would come, if they were away from their colony, or somebody came within any distance of them that was a clean person, they had to cover their mouth and they had to say, Unclean! As loud as they could shout it. Unclean! So that people would run away from them. What kind of life would that be? And, this, and we're going to see that Jesus runs into a leprous man. Now, leprosy is a picture of what? It's a picture of sin. 
It's deeper than skin, just like sin is. It spreads, just like sin does. It defiles and isolates us from God, just like sin sin does. It renders things fit only for fire. When anything touched somebody who had leprosy, you know what they did with it? Burned it. Oh, touched a leper? Burn it. And you know what? That's what sin does to us. It renders us good for only one thing, and that's fire, the fire of judgment. But the good news is that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And the good news is that though this man has leprosy, he's got a divine appointment coming. Look at verse 12. And it happened when he was in a certain city that behold, a man who was full of leprosy saw Jesus and fell on his face and implored it, saying, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. He exhibits great faith in coming to Jesus. He risked ridicule and punishment. He was not supposed to leave the the leper colony. He was not supposed to go out among the people. But when he saw Jesus, he knew it was his only hope and he was willing to risk it all to get near to Jesus Christ. He said, I don't care what I have to do. I have to get near to Him. That's the only place I'm going to find hope. That's the only place I could possibly find an answer. And he said, you can make me clean. He knew that Jesus was able to heal him, but he was not sure that Jesus was willing to heal him. And you know what, let me encourage you, if you're here this morning, some people come and they think, man, I've been so bad, I've done so many wicked and vile things, you know, maybe I've done so much that Jesus could not possibly forgive me. Let me tell you what, the Bible says where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. Amen? It is desired that none should perish, no, not one. No matter what you've done, He loves you. The Bible says that that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He that knows me best loves me most. So no matter what you've done, He's a loving and a gracious and a merciful God. How do you determine the value of something? What somebody's willing to pay for it. And this is what was paid for you. The Son of the living God died that you might have eternal life. How valuable are you? You are His prized possession. And this leprous man was Jesus' prized possession. He loved Him. He cared for Him. And He came to Him. He risked it all and said, I know you can, but are you willing to make me clean? Can you, will you do it? Many lost people today, again, fall into the same trap. It is a desire that none should perish. No, not one. I also find it interesting that he doesn't come to Jesus accusing him and being bitter against him that he has leprosy. He doesn't come and say, oh yeah, Lord, look what you did to me. I mean, what did I do to deserve this? This isn't fair. You know what? May we never come to God saying, I don't deserve this. Because I'll tell you what, I don't know about you guys, but I don't want what I deserve. How about you? Amen? Because what do we deserve? We all deserve hell. Oh, the pastor talked about hell. Uh-oh. The Bible talks about hell more than it talks about heaven. And the reality is that's what we all deserve because we're sinners. And we need to be saved. And you know what? I don't, we should never go before God and say, I don't deserve this. Praise the Lord for His grace and His mercy. And it says in the Matthew's account, when He saw the man, He was moved with compassion. And as believers, we too should have compassion for the lost. Look what it says. Verse 13. Then He put out His hand and touched him. I love this. This man with leprosy, maybe no one, since he's had leprosy, nobody is touching him. Nobody wants to be near him. He would have to cry out unclean and people would run away from him. Can you imagine what it must have been like for that leprous man that when he cried out to Jesus, where everybody else had run away, Jesus turned around and he touched him. What an awesome thing. Amen? And He desires to do that in our lives. He wants to reach out and He wants to touch us. That's our God. He's not a faraway, distant God. He's a loving God. I love that He touched him. No doubt, again, the first loving touch this leopard felt in a long, long time. The priest wouldn't, tu- the priest wouldn't touch him, would have defiled him, but Jesus did. And His immediate cleansing touch. So what it says, it says, I am willing, 
and immediately the leprosy left him. When Jesus touched him, what happened? He was made clean. It wasn't a 12-step program. Amen? It wasn't, okay, now I'm going to touch you, then you got, okay, now you got to go to the temple, and you got to crawl on glass to get there, and then I need you to say, you know, 5,000, you know, prayers of this kind, and then I want you to go over here, and then you got to fulfill that ritual over there, and then after that, you know, you got to go to a class, and then after you're done with the class... He touched him and he was made clean. Amen? Why? Because Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. Amen? He touched him, boom, leprosy's gone. And when he touches us, boom, the leprosy's gone. We've been made clean from sin because of his touch alone. And you know, I love what he says on the cross. The last word is tetalistai, which means it is finished. Can you imagine the joy that this leper must have had? Can you imagine? He was touched. What does that mean? That the leprosy's gone. What does it mean? It means he can be in fellowship again. It means he can go to the temple again. It means he can go home and see his family again. It means that he can walk out among people again. It means he can live because he's been touched by God. And you know what? We too can live. And we can imagine because we're sinners been touched by God as well and we've been made clean. Verse 14, He charged him to tell no one, but go and show himself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as a testimony to them just as Moses commanded. However, the report went around concerning him all the more, and great multitudes came together to heal and to be healed by him of their infirmities. Now, it's interesting that Jesus sent him to the priest. Why did he do that? It says in Leviticus 14 that if somebody were, had leprosy, the only way they could be made clean, or everybody could say that, yes, they truly are clean, is they had to go and be examined by the priest. And they would look at their body and examine them to make sure that they truly, that the leprosy was gone. And what's interesting to me is as soon as they did that, you know what they did? They made an atonement sacrifice. Oh yeah, you know what? You've been made clean. All right, get a lamb in here. Slit the lamb's throat. Sprinkle the blood. We're going to make a sacrifice. You know what? What a clear picture that is. The leprosy is a picture of sin. And the fact that it's been made clean, there's something that is required for that cleanliness to be there. What is it? It's a shed blood, sacrifice. It's a picture of Jesus Christ. So the leper was sent to the priest as a testimony. Now, when people didn't get healed of leprosy, unless Jesus did it. So this guy comes walking in, and they would have known he was a leper. Now they see him, and what an awesome opportunity to tell people about Jesus Christ. So they make the atonement. They kill the lamb. Again, an offering for the healing that had been done. No doubt be a witness to the priests of the ministry of Jesus Christ. But you'll notice that he told them, don't tell anybody about me. Don't tell anybody. You know what the guy did? He told everybody. You know what? If I had leprosy, it would be pretty hard not to tell people if someone got rid of it. Amen? Right? I mean, you can't talk. I mean, you'd be home. Look, babe, I'm home. Look, I'm yeah. Got my thumbs are back. You know, I mean, I'm back, right? I, I'm, I'm healed. I've been made well. Look, I'm, look, I, you know, and the funny part is the Lord told him to tell no one. He told everybody. The Lord tells us to tell everybody and we tell nobody. Right? I mean, he told them, don't tell anybody. Look, you know, right? We tell everybody. Oh, man, someone might ask me where Cain got his wife. I won't know the end. I'm not going to say anything. I'm just going to be under another day. No one found out I'm saved. I mean, you know, we need to, we need to, we need to bust out. We need to have this guy. I mean, you know what? Praise the Lord that God told him not to. Why? Because he knew that when the people found out what had happened, they would come to Jesus for the wrong reason. They'd be coming to Jesus Christ wanting healing physically, and he wanted to go to them and teach them the Word of God. And you know what? This man's disobedience would actually hinder the Lord's work. Because what would happen is people would be coming to him in throngs wanting just to be healed. 
not to, not to hear the Word. But you know what? I think that there's much more grace for this man than there is for those of us who don't tell people about the grace of Jesus Christ. Amen? If we're going to err on a side, let's tell too many people about God instead of too few. Amen? And so he went out telling everybody. Verse 16. So he himself often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. Isn't it awesome that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Alpha and the Omega, the Creator of the universe, the one who spoke the stars into the sky, would get away and spend time with the Father and pray? As Christians, Jesus Christ is our example. What do we need to do more of? We need to spend more intimate time one-on-one with the Lord. People tell me all the time, well, Pastor Dave, the Lord just isn't speaking to me. No, He's speaking. You're not listening. Amen? The Bible says the Lord desires to minister to us. He does speak to us. But we wake up in the morning, got you know, clock radios blaring, get in the car, cranking the music, and we you know, drive to work, no, 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 we go to lunch with eight people, talk, 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 go home, you know, put the microwave on, turn the TV on, listen, you know, go, go to bed, you know, read a book. And we don't ever spend any quiet time hanging out with the Lord. But Jesus Christ Himself went away into the wilderness, got away from everybody, and spent time with the Lord, one-on-one with the Father, even though He Himself is God. So we see there the picture of salvation, and we see a man asking for something in the midst of a trial, and God touched him. And lastly, we're going to look at the healing of a paralyzed man. Look at verse 17. And we're going to see interceding faith and a lesson of forgiveness. Verse 17. Now it happened on a certain day as he was teaching that there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by who had come out of every town of Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was present to heal them. Now this is interesting. The Pharisees and the scribes came out to examine Jesus. They came out and said, okay, we're going to put you under a magnifying glass. Now the reality is they actually had a right to do that. They were the spiritual leaders, quote, spiritual leaders, and they were to examine the teachers to make sure what they were teaching was not heresy. The problem is that the Pharisees, which means Pharisee means to divide or to set apart. These guys were divided unto the Lord initially. They were the ones that were set apart to the law. They came from the tribe, of, you know, it's from, it's from the... Um, from back in Leviticus, it was the law of and, and from Ezra the priest. And they taught the Jewish people to obey the law of Moses and to be separate from the unbelievers. The only problem is they become legalistic and self-righteous hypocrites. These guys, we've talked about this many, many times. I don't have time to go into it this morning. But these guys were all about rules and had nothing to do with God. They, had, they were heaping burdens upon people. Oh man, you've got to do this, you've got to do this, you've got to do this. I told you that story. I went on a, most of you guys know I still work full time. And years ago, I went on a sales call and I was calling this guy and he, he saw my Christian fish in the back of my car and he told me, Well, I'm a Jew. And I said, Okay. I said, Well, my Savior's a Jew, so that's good. You know? And he, he said, Well, yeah, you know, it's very difficult to be a Jew. I must keep 256 rules to be a good Jew. I said, Well, how, how's that working out? How are you doing on that? <laughs> he said, Well, you know, it's very difficult. I go, It's not difficult, it's impossible. I don't know what all the rules are, but I know 10 of them and you're not keeping those. So you you got a problem. you got an S-I-N problem. You're separated from God. And you know what? You can't be good enough. You think, are you going to heaven when you die? Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm sure hoping so. Oh, man, I'm not, I know so. How about you? Amen? Not because I'm, I'm perfect, but because my Savior is. Amen? And so you see here these hypocrites. They come out and they're going to examine Jesus. Can't you just see them with their robes, you know, coming out? Oh, yeah. Hear about that? Yeah, let's go check him out. And they're all out there and they're checking out Jesus. They're, they're taking a look at him. But it says there, the power of the Lord was present to heal him. But they were so focused on their own religion and rituals that they missed the Messiah. 
They were so focused on, well, here's how we do things. These are the rules we keep. This is the position I've achieved. This is where I am. I'm like, hey, man, it took me a long time to become, you know, a Pharisee. I'm, hey, you know, I've worked real hard. And now I've got this position and people honor me and I'm not giving that up for anybody. And this is the way we do things at our church. This is the way we do things in the temple. And this is what we're going to do going forward. You know what? Putting the Holy Spirit to death. Not listening. The power was there to heal them, but yet they missed the Messiah. Verse 18. Then behold, men brought on a bed a man who was paralyzed, whom they brought to bring in and lay before him. Who they sought to bring in and lay before him. Now this man was a paralytic. He had severe paralysis to the point where he had to be carried on a bed. He was probably a quadriplegic. Let me ask you a question. How desperate would you be if you were a quadriplegic to be healed, but at the same time you would not even have the ability to get to Jesus? The leprous man could at least get to Christ on his own. This paralytic man needed somebody to bring him to Jesus. As Christians, there are people around us that are spiritually paralyzed all over the place. And they need us to pick them up and bring them to Jesus. Amen? Let's start praying for our our mission field by name. Pray for your neighbors by name. Pray for the people in your office by name. Pray for opportunities to bring them to Jesus. Verse 19. And when they could not find how they might bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on that housetop and led him down with his bed through the, tilt, through the tiling into the midst before Jesus. So praise God for the faith of these guys. They would stop at nothing to get their friend to Jesus. They show up at what is, I believe, Peter's house, we see from other texts, and they show up, and when they get there, what happens is the crowd is so huge that they can't get into the house. Now the easy thing would be, oh well, it's not going to work today, let's just go home. You know, we tried. We did the best we could. Not these guys. The characteristics of these guys, they were deeply concerned for their friend and they wanted to see him helped. They had faith to believe that Jesus could and would meet the need. They did not simply pray about it, but they put feet to their prayers. You know what, as Christians, that's a cop-out sometimes. I'll pray about it. You know, we should pray about it, but we should also do something about it. Amen? You know, faith without works is dead. Now, we're not saved by our works, but... When we are serving and walking with God, we are going to produce fruit in our lives. Amen? And you know what? Oh, I'll pray about it. Some things you don't need to pray about. Someone comes up to you and says, what must I do to be saved? Well, let me pray about it. I'll let you know. Talk to you next week. Let me pray about one. I'll just share so there's some things that are very clearly in the Bible. You don't need to pray about it. Amen? You know, hey, man, bro, I'm really, I'm really hurting you. Oh, let me pray about it. I'll let you know if I can help you. You know, you also need to pray about things that aren't in the Bible. Well, you know, I, I really am praying about whether or not I should date this unsaved girl. Let me tell you right now, don't need to pray about it. Because the Bible says no. Amen? Well, yeah, well I'm going to pray about it. Well, if you hear something other than no, then I don't know who you're praying to, because that's not in the Bible. God's prayers will always be confirmed in the Word of God. Amen? And these guys didn't just pray about it. They said, you know what, let's get him. We heard Jesus in town. Let's get him. How are we going to get him there? I don't know. Well, let's get his bed. Let's pick it up. Let's carry him. Oh, man, look at the crowd. There's all these people here. You know what? Let's climb up on the roof. They get up on the roof. There's tile there. Well, let's just rip the tiles out. Got a crowbar. Let's go. Yeah, all right. Ripping the tiles out. Can you imagine Jesus in there teaching and all of a sudden, right? The bed comes lowering down right in front of him. That's awesome. These guys wanted to get their friend to Jesus no matter what it took. Well, we're getting them to Jesus, man. We're not stopping until it happens. Don't give up. And you know what? Sometimes we want to give up because of the way people act. We think it's too difficult to get them to the Lord. These men, there was a sense of urgency to get their friend to Jesus. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. When he saw their faith, verse 20, he said to them, 
man, your sins are forgiven you. Jesus saw their faith, their aggressive, persistent effort to bring this paralytic man to the Lord and responded to their faith, performing the greatest miracle of all, and that is forgiveness. Let me tell you why forgiveness is the greatest miracle. Because it meets the greatest need, it costs the greatest price, and it brings the greatest blessing and most lasting results. You know what? You can say to somebody, rise, take up your bed and walk, and if they don't give their life to Jesus Christ, they're still going to spend eternity separated from God. The greatest miracle is being born again. Amen? That's the greatest miracle. You know, I want to help people as a pastor get off drugs, but you know what I really want to help them do? I want to help them get to know Jesus Christ. That's what I want to help them do. It's not a 12-step program. It's a one-step program. Jesus Christ, Him crucified and risen from the dead. Verse 21, And the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And man, did they nail that right. Amen. There it is. That's right. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Oh, amen. You're right. Only God can forgive sins. Guess who He is? God. You know the Messiah you've been looking for? All those Old Testament prophecies pointing toward a man? He's standing right there. He had already told them in the last chapter that the Scripture had been fulfilled in their hearing. It's interesting to me that they knew the Word, but they missed the Word. They knew about the Word, but when the Word became flesh and dwelt among them, they missed Him. They missed Jesus Christ. What a sad and tragic thing. The scribes were correct in saying that only God could forgive sin, but incorrect in saying that Jesus blasphemed refusing to recognize Jesus as the Messiah. By telling him his sins were forgiven, Jesus Christ was claiming to be God. People will tell you all the time, Jesus never claimed to be God. What Bible are you reading? Jesus claims to be God all over the place. Amen? It's hard to find a chapter in the New Testament where he doesn't claim to be God. Oh, he never said he was God. Yes, he did. And here's another example. Your sins are forgiven you. Who can do that? Only God. Amen? Who's Jesus? He's God. Buddha dead, Hare Krishna dead, Joseph Smith dead, Mary Baker Eddy dead, Jesus Christ, risen living Savior, triumphed over sin and death. Verse 22. It says there, But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, He answered and said to them, Why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or rise up and walk? Now, if, if saying you're forgiven and having performed miracles wasn't enough, He now reads their thoughts and answers the question that they're thinking in their mind. You think that might get your attention? Amen? Oh, you know what you're thinking about? Why are you thinking about that? Because let me just tell you something. I mean, I'd be like, oh, you know. Now, Peter sees fish in the boat and repents. He reads their thoughts, and they're still, well, yeah, but I'm the Pharisee. You don't understand. I mean, I, you know, I mean, I've got position already. I'm not bound to anybody. And so he reads their thoughts, and he tells them the intent of their heart, and he says to them, which is easier? Now, the answer to this question depends on whether you're looking for spiritual or with spiritual or physical eyes. It costs Jesus' life to forgive sin forgive sin and only he could do it that was way more difficult to forgive sin but to prove that he could forgive sin look what jesus does verse 24 but but that you may know that the son of man has power on earth to forgive sins he said to the man who was paralyzed i say to you arise take up your bed and go to your house So Jesus knew that people marveled at the physical, and while Jesus marvels at great faith, he backed up his words by immediately healing the man. And it says there, what does he refer to himself as? The Son of Man. Son of Man is what kind of a term? Who knows? It's a messianic term. It's a term for the Messiah. So he's talking to the Pharisees, and he refers to himself as the Son of Man. Yet again, claiming himself to be God, proving that he could forgive sins by telling the man to rise up, take up his bed, and walk. And then the guy gets up and starts walking around. Now, Peter repented at fish in a boat. He has read their mind. 
He's told them what they're thinking, and now he's healed a paralyzed guy. You'd think there'd be repentance. No repentance. It doesn't happen. You know what? It takes faith. And these men had faith to intercede on behalf of their brother, where the Pharisees and the scribes could neither heal the man nor forgive his sins. They were caught in their own trap and condemned by their own thoughts. Jesus had affirmed as a deity, not only forgiving the man's sin, but again by having him rise up and walk. What the religious leaders had opened up to their hearts, that day they would, have, they would have learned who Jesus was. If they had just opened their hearts and been willing to listen, they would have learned, one, that sin is like sickness and that forgiveness is like having your health restored. They would have learned a truth that is throughout the Old Testament, but being demonstrated before their eyes, that Jesus Christ truly is the long-awaited Messiah. That Jesus Christ is the one they've been waiting for. What an opportunity they missed by becoming... by coming to the meeting with a critical spirit instead of a repentant heart. You know what? If you want God to do work in your life, don't come with a critical spirit. Come with a repentant heart. Don't come with an attitude of, I deserve, this is what I should be getting, this is how things should be in my life. Lord, what are you doing to me? How are you treating me? We need to come before God with fear and trembling and desperation for Him. Amen? We need to be, remain in a constant place, crying out in desperation for Almighty God to do a work in our lives. Last two verses. Immediately he rose up before them, took up his bed, departed to his own house, glorifying God. When God does a miracle, he gets glorified. Amen? What did the man do? He glorified God. If you were paralyzed and God touched you, you'd glorify God. But you know what? Let me say this in closing. Have we not been healed from something greater than paralysis? Amen? We were once dead in our trespasses and sins, headed to hell, separated from God for all eternity, and He has touched us and made us new creations in Christ. Should we not be like this man running around glorifying God? Amen? He's glorifying God for a temporal healing. We should be glorifying God for what He's done to us supernaturally. So in summary, let me say this. They were all amazed. They glorified God. We're filled with fear. We have seen strange things today. The worship team can come back up. So in summary, what did we see today? We saw life-changing faith. We saw the example of the four fishermen who were called to faithful obedience when they didn't understand. It didn't make sense for them to do what Jesus said. But what did they say? Lord, not my will, but Thy will. Lord, You're God, I'm not. I'm going to listen to Your voice and not go by what I think I know. Lord, I trust You. Then we see the cleansing of a leper or a picture of saving faith. Faith in the midst of extreme trials. Instead of the guy being bitter because he was a leper, he said, man, I'm a leper in need of a healing touch. And he went to the only place he could be healed. And then finally, the healing of the paralytic man, we see faithful intercession. May we be those who intercede on behalf of others who are desperate for God. May we be like Andrew saying, come and see and bring people to the Lord. Let's pray. <laughs> Heavenly Father, we do thank You. We praise You for Your Word. And we thank You, Lord, for the examples of faith that we saw this morning. Lord, may we have that kind of faith. Faith not based on our circumstances or based on what's going on in our lives, but Lord, that we would trust in You. Lord, where else can we go but to You? Who else can we turn to that has the answers and the hope that we so desperately need? Father, I pray if there's anybody here this morning that doesn't know You, Lord, that their eyes would be open to their need for You. If those, there are those here, Lord, that do know You, that have been going through difficult times, I pray, Lord, they would sense your love and your grace, and the fact that they don't go through these difficulties alone, but you're there and you care for them. So, Father, we just ask, Lord, that you would do a mighty work in Santa Cruz County, that you would be glorified and you begin revival in each one of our hearts this morning. Lord, we love you, we praise you, in Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's stand up and close the worship song.